Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Amanda Kuda is a writer, coach, and educator. She's a formal social drinker or party girl who's now living and loving a 100% alcohol-free lifestyle. Amanda didn't have to hit a rock bottom to get there, and you don't either. Her passion is teaching other high-achieving women how to navigate the stumbling blocks of going alcohol-free so they can step into a life beyond their wildest dreams. Today, Amanda and I are going to talk about how to stop drinking and start manifesting. And Amanda teaches a modern approach to personal development, self-actualization, and spiritual enlightenment through the lens of elective sobriety. So Amanda, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, Casey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, we met in on an online forum. We were both speakers in a sort of online multi-week session about how to break your habit of drinking. And I wanted to have you on the podcast because I loved about the way you talked about how going alcohol-free can help you unbottle your truest potential. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's a concept that I uncovered on accident, uh, probably much like you. I never thought that I was going to be teaching and coaching and writing a book on sobriety. And that's what my life has turned out to be. But, you know, about five or six years ago, I was feeling really stuck in life, in career, in love, in friendships. I felt like I was on a hamster wheel and I was living out a story that wasn't mine to live out. But I had invested so much time and energy and money and everything in that story that I felt like I had to keep doing it. And there was something inside of me that said, Amanda, you are meant for more than this. There is something bigger and better out there for you. And you could have it all if you just stop drinking. And that was a really hard voice to hear. And I was kind of like, shut up, voice. No, but- <laughs> Surely you don't mean that. Maybe you just mean to cut back a little because we live in this society where drinking is such a backbone of socializing and such a backbone of everything that we do. And we also live in a society where sobriety has a brand and that brand is 12 steps recovery um, addiction, which is great. If that is your path, wonderful. But that wasn't resonant for me. I didn't feel that I was quite at that level. And it was a really big deterrent for me to quit drinking because I thought that the only path was to call yourself an alcoholic. And 
I realized finally that I was just going to call bullshit on that and try to quit drinking or just at least investigate what it was like to be alcohol free on my own. And what I discovered is that it truly unbottled this pent up potential in me that while I was really high achieving before, I had so much more that was ready to be expressed that I couldn't even fathom until it was there and available to me. And I find that with a lot of high achieving social drinkers, that the same thing occurs, that you're doing pretty well. No one would ever say that you have a problem or that you should be doing more, but inside in your soul, you know, it's true. And if you could just clear up the space to let that come out, you would be astounded at what you have available to you. So what was it about drinking in particular that was kind of blocking you from, you know, achieving your potential? I know for me, I drank a bottle plus of wine a night, every single night of my life. So for me, it was coming home and sort of zoning out pretty quickly. Like I just, I got done everything I had to get done, which was like dishes and kids eating and, you know, homework and getting them to bed. And then I would just be in front of the TV on my couch. And then the next day I was dragging so much that I was just barely coping with getting through the day and trying to recover and then thinking about drinking again. So for me, it was very clear that I had very limited time or energy or mind space or heart space to do anything beyond like my work responsibilities, home responsibilities, and like beat myself up a bunch. So I'd go to the gym, you know, for like penance for drinking too much. But (laughs) was it different for you? You know, my my drinking pattern was a little bit different. So I was more the no drinking through the week than kind of hit it hard, work hard, play hard on the weekend. And so that looks like happy hour on Friday, brunch on Saturday, you know, maybe something going out Saturday night, something on Sunday. And obviously, if you're spending your entire weekend, like all of your free time drunk, or on your way to drunk, you (laughs) completely lose any opportunity to do anything extracurricular in your life. So not only just professional potential, but to have any hobbies, and you're exhausted. And then you know, you've experienced I know, um, as many of your listeners have that feeling of anxiety where you just feel like you've, you've done something terribly wrong. It's not like you robbed a bank, you know, you didn't do anything immoral, but there's something inside of you that just says this isn't fitting. And so when you're taking away your time and you're making yourself feel awful, and then you also don't realize that it's completely affecting your um, your intellectual capacity and your creative capacity. So I just felt foggy all the time, even though my hangover wasn't, you know, literally around on Monday morning. Well, sometimes it was, um, you know, <laughs> Monday morning, Tuesday morning. By the time I felt kind of clear headed, it was Wednesday or Thursday, and then it was time to start the cycle again. So really, maybe I was getting two to three good days out of a week. And that is not my my fullest potential. Yeah. I have so much more in me to give. And I was trying to squeeze it out with the little brain power and the little creativity and the little intelligence that I had on those three days. And it just doesn't add up. So what was keeping you there? I mean, was it you surrounded yourself with a lot of drinkers? Was it, you know, did you have any social anxiety? Because I know a lot of women do. A little bit of everything, you know, yes, it's your environment. I socialize with people who are drinking at the same level or more. So it made my behavior right and just and necessary. You know, it's what 
also made it difficult to stop because you think that you won't fit in with the people who you're around. And I read as an extrovert, but honestly, I'm very shy and introverted and I always have been. And I learned to come out of my shell as an adolescent with alcohol. I always felt like I I didn't fit in and alcohol was a way to bring me out of my shell and make me like everyone else. And I when, when you don't develop social skills and you use a you use a coping mechanism through your entire life, of course it makes every social situation seem insurmountable or impossible without alcohol and we tell ourselves this lie. So it was so many things. One, that my group, my social friends were drinkers at the same level. Two, that I had social anxiety that I never learned to manage on my own. And then I think another underlying thing that we don't talk about quite often is that many of us don't know that honestly, I was a highly sensitive, empathic person, and I didn't know what that meant. Mm. I didn't know, you know, as a kid growing up with those characteristics, no one tells you, hey, you might be an empath. You might have some sort of energetic predisposition about you that's actually a gift, but you're made to feel that it's wrong or bad or weird. And so not only was I trying to fit in with my peers when I started drinking, ultimately at a higher level, I was trying not to stand out because I felt like a huge weirdo. Yeah. And once, yeah, once I came to that clarity on the other side of being alcohol free, I realized, wow, I actually had this tremendous gift that's made me feel other than my entire life. And essentially the bigger picture of what I was doing with drinking was using alcohol to dilute that light, to dilute that gift so that I could be on the same level as everyone else. I was just using it to, to dilute my vibrational frequency. And that is, I think the most tremendous insight that I've had through this journey is that I've been using it to, to dull my sparkle. And I think a lot of people resonate with that. I mean, what about you? Do you have any of that? When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. I love that you said that and I I want you to go into a little bit more about what an empath is or a highly sensitive person. I feel like a lot of the women I work with in coaching are also highly sensitive. I know I was like really attuned to 
the emotions and the moods of the people around me. For me, I really wanted harmony. And so I was just like, I would feel how they felt and I would want to make it right. And if I couldn't, I would be really uncomfortable. And then, then I would want to drink to kind of like, you know, get over feeling it so deeply, but explain to us what an empath is or a highly sensitive person. Yeah. So an empath is, if you're highly empathic, you really take on and feel the emotions of others for them. And often you might find yourself trying to take away someone's pain. And for the women who are listening, this can start as early as childhood, where you're trying to maybe take away um, negative emotions that your parents feel, and you are trying to manage their emotions. And you do it with everyone, though. And, and often you're rewarded for it. You're told, oh, you're such a little adult. You're so sweet. You're so kind. You're so mature. And so we're built up that this is a good thing, but we're not taught the skills to shut it off and to not take on things for other people. And when you get to adolescence, you get a tool, a magic tool, a magic elixir that is alcohol that does help dull that ability to take on things for other people. So an empath is someone I would highly recommend that you go online and just Google empath quiz. Um, there's a great, really succinct set of like 25 questions that you can use to discern if, if you are an empath. Um, it is grabbing a book off my shelf here. It's by Elaine Aaron. I have this. I'm not sure if you'll use that. Um, oh, oh, I have that book as well. Person. The highly sensitive person. Yes. So just Google a quiz for being an empath. Then a highly sensitive person is also an interesting personality trait. And basically just ask yourself if you were highly sensitive or hyper aware of the subtleties in your environment. If you're in a really loud or crowded place, does it overwhelm you since in a sensory way? And also just different um, energetic or intuitive gifts. So clairvoyance, claircognizance, clairaudience, those are a little more higher level that sometimes people are afraid to talk about, but intuitive gifts that sometimes we have that we are are not taught to manage or taught are wrong. And if any of those words or any of those phrases resonate with you or tug at your heart, I definitely encourage you to go look them up and see, okay, is this possibly something that's in my background that I've been burying down my entire life that I've used alcohol to cover up? I've used alcohol to make less resonant. And for a lot of, I wouldn't say for most women, but for a lot of women, yes, that's true. And you don't realize it until it starts to come to the surface again. And I just want to encourage you that it's a very beautiful gift to have, um, to be empathic, to be a highly sensitive person, to be intuitive in any way. These are gifts that we're given and gifts that we often try to block out. So it's something, yeah, that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Well, and I love that you said that too, when you mentioned like the noise and situations, because really, you know, when you're drinking, it puts this like bubble around you, like this film where everything is a little bit more at an arm's length from where you are, right? It takes a few more minutes for it to like process and hit your brain when stuff happens, that reaction time. But when you're hungover, the same thing happens. You're still dulled. You still have this film around you where you're not quite responding you know, in real time, the way you would if you weren't drinking or hungover. And so a lot of women in early sobriety feel so sensitive, like they're running around without their outer layer of skin, and that everything is too loud and too fast and too much. And so we always talk about like building this sober bubble, this drama free bubble, where you're going to need a lot of quiet time in the beginning, because you're not used to feeling everything in real time or hearing everything so loud. Yeah, you've essentially been 
cheating or fake feeling the entire time. I think about it as if you're at the bowling alley and you have like toddlers get the bumpers that they put in the gutter so your ball doesn't go in the gutter. Let's say your entire life you've been bowling with the bumpers up and that's alcohol. It keeps you from hitting the the highs and the lows. And now all of a sudden you take those bumpers out. Of course, it's going to be hard. Of course, you're not, you're going to hit the gutter often and it's going to be frustrating. And you can also learn to reposition yourself and shoot straight down the lane. And that's what you learn when you learn emotional regulation skills, you learn to cope with your emotions, you learn to bowl properly rather than having this false positive, basically that you've been getting by having the gutters uh, or the the bumpers in the gutter. Yeah. And it's essentially what alcohol does for you. One of my favorite things I've ever read was um, Glennon Doyle wrote in Carry On Warrior. She has a chapter, I guess, that's like to my friend on her first sober morning. I have a blog on it. I'll link to it in the show notes. But she says that when you stop drinking, it's a lot like recovering from frostbite that, you know, at the beginning, these feelings come and they're like tingles and then they start to feel like daggers. And the idea is that like, you know, sadness, loneliness, regret, all these things come, but you've been numb for so long that you kind of learn to go through it and then it gets so much easier. Oh, totally. First of all, Glennon Doyle is a goddess. And <laughs> something else she said, um, I think in Untamed that really resonated with me was alcohol isn't your problem. It's just your ineffective solution. Yeah. And that really resonates with me in the way that I teach because I teach the concept of, you know, you don't have to have a problem with alcohol for it to be a problem in your life. Mm. And alcohol is always a mask or a disguise for something else that you're avoiding. Always, always. And that goes for you if you are, you know, in addiction and recovery, but especially if you are not, it is just your, it is not your problem. It is your ineffective solution to something else. And if you can get at that something else and be brave enough to look at it and work through it and heal it, um, or at least come up with better coping mechanisms, your life will be, it's, it will become your superpower. You will be unstoppable in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. I I agree with that 100%. I was like nodding my head as you were saying that. So how do you help people work through that in the work that you do? Yeah. So I think that in the work that I do, I found that there are a couple of different things that you need in order to thrive. The first is a shift in mindset. We've been brainwashed to believe that we need alcohol, right? We've been brainwashed to believe that it's a requirement for social activities, that it is something that helps us in many ways. And I definitely want to touch on this, the brainwashing a little um, more deeply, but just in general, we've been brainwashed. So we need to shift our mindset and we need a different perspective and learnings and how to do that. We also need a community. We need people to show us that it's possible and we don't have to be a social outcast if we choose this lifestyle. Um, That's why AA has been such a tremendous brand for people who identify as alcoholics because it provides this built-in community. And one of the things that I think is important if you are looking for a community is also to remember that every sober community won't be for you. One of the things that one of my clients pointed out to me recently is she said she had been in a lot of different, you know, one of the things we all do is we go like overboard with learning. We buy all the quit lit. We listen to all the podcasts. We follow all the accounts. We join all the groups. And she said, you know, Amanda, a lot of the groups are really disheartening for me because the women are talking about 
a level of relationship with alcohol that doesn't resonate with me. So I always say that if you're in a group that's making you feel like you are justifying your drinking because you're not as bad as, as them, I say quit. It doesn't, um, you don't have to find community in these, in the, the first place, the most obvious place, which are some of the sober groups, even though they're wonderful. Um, but you need to find a community that resonates with you. And then you need accountability and you need support in navigating situations that you've never been taught to navigate before. And a lot of that looks like working with someone like you or I, who is a coach who can hold your hand and kind of be your little like Sherpa on this journey, because we've been on the journey before and we know all of the details that we can alert you to so that you can do it more easily um, yeah. and you can avoid some of the stumbling blocks. I love that. One of the, my favorite quotes is like, you can learn something secondhand. There's not time to make all the mistakes yourself. And, you know, when I started, I was like, I was just stumbling around in the dark until I figured out that other people had done this not drinking thing before people who were like me, and that they actually had information that could cut out a lot of the like, pitfalls. And, you know, I don't, I don't need to make every mistake myself, I could take some shortcuts in life. Yes. And mistakes, I mean, to be honest, mistakes are how we learn, but you can also really increase your comeback rate if you have someone supporting you around some of them and then helping pick you back up when you do make one of the, you know, the mistakes. Yeah. And also inspire you to be like, oh, I don't have to hit a bottom. My life, you know, my life is okay now. My life's pretty good, but it actually can be so much better. And I now see someone else who stopped drinking, who used to be just like me, who's telling me that I can be happier and more fulfilled or fulfill my potential like you. Okay. Something I've opened up about a little bit, but honestly need to talk about more is how much PMS really affects me. It's definitely worsened over the last few years for me, and it can honestly take me down for a few days every month. That's why if you struggle with the same thing, I could not be more excited to tell you about today's sponsor, Jubilance, and they're offering my listeners $10 off with the promo code HAPPIEST. Jubilance is the leading evidence-based scientific approach to PMS relief. They're backed by scientific and clinical trials that are placebo-controlled and showed significant relief of PMS, anxiety, irritability, sadness, stress after just one month of daily jubilance. I feel all of that on such an intense level when I'm PMSing and their mission is to help menstruators live symptom-free because no one should have to suffer every month. Try jubilance for $10 off by visiting jubilance.com happiest or use the promo code happiest at checkout. That's J-U-B-I-L-A-N-C-E.com slash happiest for $10 off. Yeah. If you can find someone who is a good, solid mirror, it will help you go so much further faster. I mean, this is with any area in life. If you hire, you know, a coach to help you with your finances and they've always been rich, are you really going to, you know, resonate with how, with what they're doing because they've never been where you are financially? You don't have to find someone that's an exact replica of your story, but it always helps to find someone who you feel like they've kind of been in the same trench you've been in before. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you in terms of if a group or a story isn't resonating with you, there is so much out there. Go find your people, um, you know, find your tribe, love them hard because there are certain books that I loved, but were not my story. And if they're, you know, super dark, I was like, well, I'm not that bad. You know, it's easy to be like, so I don't have a problem because I've never had that happen to me. And yet there are so many other stories of women who, you know, felt like me where they're just kind of like the knights are slipping through their fingers. 
They're vaguely hungover every day. They're, you know, dealing with anxiety and depression. And then they stop drinking and suddenly they're doing so much more than they ever did with their life previously. Oh, yes. Yeah. Find find the voice that resonates with you and and cherish that because it's yeah. someone to be a relationship. And you've talked about like releasing shadow elements that keep you playing small. And, you know, I definitely think that alcohol can keep you small, right? It keeps your world small. It keeps what you attempt to do small because you don't want people to look at you too closely. But like, what are those shadow elements that you've seen in yourself or in your clients? Well, you know, one we already discussed is the shadow around being special or being, you know, exceptional in some way. And if you have an energetic gift, that is an exceptionality. And I want you to celebrate that. But we've been made to feel different from that. We also use alcohol to avoid being too much. You know, as women specifically, we're told we can't take up too much space. So what better way to keep ourselves small than to dilute ourselves a little each day or each weekend or however much um, so that, you know, even if subconsciously, so that we cannot think at the intellectual level that we are able to, because God forbid that might intimidate someone or God forbid that might make us um, to where we are more successful than a man and then we're undateable or unmarriable or that we intimidate other women and no one wants to be friends with us. So we use it very, very unwittingly to keep ourselves from being too much. But then more often than not, the one that is the most obvious is we keep it, we use it to dilute the parts of us that don't feel enough. And this is kind of an energetic principle, but for the most part, 99.999% of the time, when you are drinking, you are doing it to send yourself a message. And that is, and you're doing it to help your, to help like boost one of your characteristics that you don't feel is um, powerful enough. So you're doing it so you can be more fun, more exciting to where you can have more energy to where you can be more relaxed to where you can be, you know, more outgoing to where you can be more sexy. And if you're drinking to become more of something, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're telling your subconscious that you are not enough as you are. And two, you're telling your subconscious I don't believe you can become enough as you are. And that is such a limiting story that you've told yourself, even though you're not literally saying those things, that's metaphorically what you're getting at when you're saying that you need alcohol to perform. And it's so disempowering. Like that is not the message any of us would want to tell our daughters or our nieces or anyone. You never would look at a child and say, you're not enough. You're not capable of calming down on your own. You're not capable of being funny on your own. You're not capable of being attractive on your own. Yet that is the message we send ourselves every single time we drink. And it's harsh. It's really a harsh message. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved what you said about being too much, you know, requiring too much. I always, you know, kept the um, visual in my mind of like the wine bottle being like a pacifier so when I had, you know, little kids, but <laughs> I was going to say every time my son would like cry or get loud, I'd be like, oh, here, have your pacifier, have your pacifier, right? They stick it in their mouth. They suck on it. They don't say anything, right? They stop crying most of the time. And so like a lot of times women are, they use wine as their pacifier to like mollify themselves so that they ask for less, so that they're less demanding. And then people, society, but also like men are like, here, have some wine here. You know what I mean? You need wine to relax. And what they're basically doing is kind of like putting that pacifier in and be like, here, shut up, have your wine, you know, yeah. which sucks. 
Yes. It's, and it's become so acceptable. I mean, we know specifically mom wine culture, there are memes and hand towels and glasses and koozies and all of these things that tell you, oh, that's cute that you do that. No, actually, that's so disempowering. You're taking your own body's natural ability to regulate itself. And you're saying, you don't have to do that. You're cheating the system. I think that, um, you know, I know you had William Porter on recently, and he does a really good job of explaining this um, in, in lots of senses. I think he talked about it specifically with sleep. But when you teach your body, it doesn't have to perform because alcohol will do the job then you, it takes only that much more practice to teach your body to perform when it's time. And, and you do that with your emotional regulation too. It's not, it's every system in your body that you're using alcohol to dull down. You're then going to have to try that much harder to bring it back online. And I, I don't say that to be discouraging. I just want everyone to know that, yeah, it is going to be a little hard to get into normal life without alcohol, but that's okay because you will be so much better off and so much more capable and so much more powerful on the other side. Yeah. And you actually learn to use tools. I mean, I feel like once I started drinking regularly to deal with social situations or anxiety about school or work or family relationships or sleep, like I used it to help me sleep until I figured out that it it ruined sleep and woke me up at 3 a.m., Um, I stopped reaching for other coping skills and other ways to manage anxiety or to manage overwhelm or to enjoy life without it. And so it sort of stunts your growth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All of the areas that you are afraid to do life with alcohol are just areas where your emotional growth has been stunted 100%. Well, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on, in addition to the fact that I just love um, the manifestation and how alcohol is keeping you small is you've written and talked quite a bit about being single and dating and relationships without alcohol. And I know that's something that I, I mentioned I've been with my, we met when we were 22 or 23, we're going to be married 19 years in September. So like I have very little experience dating without alcohol. Right. And so Talk to me about that because that's something that a lot of clients I have have fears about or they feel like not drinking might be a liability. You know, do I put it on my online dating profile? All that stuff. Such a good question, you know, because we've been taught that meeting for drinks is the quintessential first date, right? That's just what you do. And I had to face this full on because let me be 100% honest. I did not come into my own, like physically or emotionally, well, until I stopped drinking, but physically, I was an ugly duckling. I was tall. I was gawky. I had oily hair and acne. I did not get asked on a single date in high school or get asked to a single dance. Like I, I didn't learn how to date. And then when I got to college and I was drinking and I had like my level of flirtation and my physical confidence was a little higher. It, it only means that every single romantic and sexual experience I had was under the veil of alcohol. So I never learned the skill. 0% learned how to do that. And also was still living in my high school head that I wasn't attractive and I wasn't fun and no one liked me. And so at 30, I realized, okay, whoa, I have to learn to do this on my own. So I promise you there is no one who has had to really unravel this story more than me. And here's what I realized is that, you know, I'm sure anyone who is single who has dated as a drinker has probably also dated someone who drinks pretty heavily and can corroborate that the connection you get in those relationships is often quite false. And it's often the most 
intimate moments are often under um, intoxication. So um, deep conversations. How many times have you waited to have a difficult conversation until you've had a few drinks? How many times have you not felt comfortable in bed because you needed a little alcohol to loosen up? So all of that connection, while maybe valid, has still been a little fake. And when I realized this, I thought, you know what? That's not what I want for myself. I'm going to figure out how to do this and actually develop real connections with people. So here are some of my quick tips. Um, the first is if you're using dating apps, you I actually have a whole course on how to use dating apps more mindfully because I think it's all a head game. And I think dating apps are a great tool, especially, I mean, in this last year, how else were you going to meet people other than online? Um, so it's a necessary tool and it's a tool that you can use to your benefit. So the first is go in with a positive mindset. If you go in with the attitude of dating sucks, dating apps suck, they, of course, they're going to suck. Um, but in terms of acknowledging your alcohol-free lifestyle within the app, what I think is that most places your bio is limited to characters, just like an Instagram bio or a, a you know a Twitter bio. And so I don't think it's important to use that real estate for acknowledging your sobriety. Um, also, because I think there's so much stigma around it that it could be a quick hard pass for someone who, to be honest, I would have hard passed on someone who said that they didn't drink because I didn't understand. Um, it could be something that someone passes on and they could actually be a good match. But I, I always bring it up. And mind you, I did this the wrong way several times. I tried all the other ways. I always bring it up within text conversation before I determine if I'm going to meet with the person. So I always want to let them know in advance that I don't drink. But to be honest, I also am really, really um, particular now about screening people. And I, I shared this on... Um, on a talk recently because everyone had a different opinion on, you know, would you date someone who drinks? Would you go on a date and let the other person drink even though you're not? And here's what I've decided. And this is a very rigid, but important philosophy. I'm happy to date someone who drinks as long as it's not a key cornerstone of their personality and their hobbies. That's fine with me. It doesn't, since I'm not in recovery, it doesn't trigger me or bother me. Um, but I will absolutely 100% not drink and not let you drink on the first three dates. And here's why. Because if I have to show up in my full authentic self and be uncomfortable and have nerves, then you can do it too. And if you are the person who might be my partner for life, I want you to feel comfortable enough with me that you can approach that situation and be comfortable in a room with me without alcohol. So I don't say this to people, first of all, I'm not trying to like trick people, but I always manufacture first date situations to where drinking isn't an option. So I only meet for coffee or go for walks. I don't do anything else. We are not going near a bar, in a bar or at a bar because I want to have this moment of, okay, if I'm going to do this, you're going to do it too. Because if we're going to be in this maybe forever, not to jump to conclusions, I want us to both like feel those feelings. It's so important that you feel the nervousness or you feel the butterflies. Like that's the fun part of dating. And that's also how your emotional system responds to tell you if you're a match. And um, if you dilute that system, you just do yourself a huge disservice. So that's kind of my like my roundabout, like up to the first date rules on and advice really. So on you mentioned to them alcohol. before you meet them, like in a text or in a conversation, like, by the way, I don't drink. Yeah. I say, by the way, I don't drink just so I let you know, um, just in case that's a lifestyle issue for you. And if it is, then great that you're not my person and I'm not missing yeah. out on anything. I think an earlier version of me worried that I was missing out on something, but if it's not a lifestyle match, then 
why spend my time? Why waste my time on a date with you? Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea of going somewhere where drinking isn't an option. Like a lot of people I know, they're like, oh, we go for a bike ride or we go for a hike for the first date. Um, But like coffee and walk or brunch is great too, just so it's not something where you're sitting in a bar uncomfortable when the waitress comes over and asks you what you want to drink. Yeah. And really, I do that for another reason too, that's outside of drinking, but it's because if I, I want to know if I want to go on a second date with you and if I'm in a crowded place, that's overstimulating like a bar or a concert or movies, I can't have a proper conversation with you. So I, you know, I also want to create a situation where we can get to know each other. And that level of consciousness though, has only been available to me because I'm alcohol free before Mm -hmm. me wouldn't have cared. Um, but now I know what I want and what I'm deserving of and what real connection is and how to get it. And I know that it's not done in a crowded place where you can't hear the person that might make me sound like a grandma, but <laughs> it just, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. No, it's totally true. And I can imagine that a lot of people spend time worrying if someone likes you without really identifying if they actually like the person in front of them. Yes. Yeah. You're trying to impress someone you don't even know if you want to impress. Yeah. So I had heard that you have exercises to truly identify your type. Can you share any of those with us? Yeah, I'll share one that's really, um, really quick and easy. And um, it's called, I call it the inventory. And what you do is you take a piece of paper and you just fold it lengthwise where you have two columns, hot dog style, if you're in um, grade school. (laughs) So you have it folded with two columns. And on the left side is the negative characteristics. And on the right side are the positive characteristics. And these are the characteristics you're looking for, yes, and looking and not looking for in a partner. And the easiest way to get at them is to go through your last three to five significant romantic partners and write down the characteristics that they had that you liked, that you enjoyed, and then write down the characteristics that they um, embodied that you're like, ooh, didn't really do it for me. And uh, the really cool thing about this exercise is you'll start to see patterns. So you'll start to see where maybe you've attracted a specific type of person that's there to teach you a lesson. Maybe it's not your type, um, but you've told yourself the story. Well, all guys are like this. Um, No, you're actually just attracting guys who are like that. So it gives you some areas where you can learn where you have work to do, but it also helps you get more clear on, okay, what is it that I actually want and desire? And when you have it written down, that's so important because then when you see him, you'll know, right? And if you just have this ethereal list in your head, um, oftentimes you don't recognize it when you see it or you'll divert back to the negative list because you haven't gotten clear on, oh, these are actually hard no's for me. And I keep saying yes, but it's actually a no. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. Well, when we talk about manifesting, I know that you do work around stop drinking, live alcohol free, and then start manifesting the life you want to live. Can you tell me about what that means to you? Yeah. So manifestation um, is just aligning energetically with the thing that you want so that it can be more magnetically attracted to you. And kind of as I explained earlier, when you are drinking, you're sending your body negative messages. You're sending your psyche, your inner guide, negative messages of you're not enough. You're not worthy. So you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage when it comes to attracting what you desire because at the heart level, you don't believe you're worth attracting that thing. Even if on the ego level, you're like, yeah, I'm worth it. I'm, I'm good. Your subconscious is saying no. 
But what's interesting is on the energetic plane, you also send a message out to the universe. And when you're drinking, you send the message of, hey, I'm okay with mediocrity. I'm okay living the life that's like this that I'm living right now. So bring me more of this. And the universe can only respond at the level at which you've told it to play. So if you're saying, I'm fine with this mundane life, I'm fine being just like everyone else, I'm fine in this situation, it's only going to show you other examples of that same situation when it comes to your job, when it comes to your financial and material abundance, when it comes to your romantic partners, when it comes to your friendships, the universe can only respond to you so much as you have stepped up for yourself. So when you take alcohol out of the equation, basically what you do is you send a big message in a megaphone out to the universe. It's like, hey, universe, I'm done fucking around. Show me what you got. And you obviously have to do more work. It's not just, you know, remove alcohol, poof, things, you have a Ferrari in your garage. It is remove alcohol, do the work to also work on your mindset and your limiting beliefs, make yourself a good version, the better version of yourself. And then watch as miracles start to happen in your life. I have had all of my clients manifest tremendous things from, you know, a almost hundred thousand dollar check randomly that helped her leave her dead end job that she was ready to get out of. Um, to little things like, you know, just gifts that they had been wanting to buy for themselves and they weren't able to, um, because of whatever situation or the exact mentor that they needed to help them on their professional path to the exact romantic partner. But those things didn't come into their lives with, maybe they could have gotten them before. It would have just been a lot more struggle um, because you can absolutely manifest things into your life as a drinker. But once you get that level of alignment and confidence and self-worth of, I deserve this and, oh, hey, by the way, I've set my life up for it, bring it to me, the universe responds and really quickly. And you will be astounded if you put the right practices into place, how quickly you can call in all of the things that you want um, and sometimes even something better. I think that's awesome. I actually, um, I, I did a podcast in on this in the beginning of the year. It's called like manifest the shit out of life. But yes. um, I call it like following my divine breadcrumbs. And mm-hmm. so you sort of see something that you're attracted to that's kind of calling t- towards you and you kind of step towards it. And then you'll see something else and you kind of step towards that. And it's all leading you somewhere really good. I used to sit at work, be like, I don't like my job, but I earn so much money and I have my house and my kids and my mortgage and my lifestyle I like. I love the vacations. And therefore, in my mind, I can't see anything else that will get me as much money for the same amount of work. So I'm going to stay here and be miserable where, you know, because we were such a planner, right? We needed to know that that exact thing existed. And it wasn't until I like, stepped back and and was like, okay, here, I would like to find something that is fulfilling, but also lets me go on great vacations and have more free time and is more stable than working in a corporation. And then kind of opened my mind to like looking around that I was able to be like, oh, this is interesting. And you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it opens your mind to, first of all, just be curious, but also to have be open to creative possibilities. I, I also, I was stuck in a dead end nine to five job, which bless it, it gave me so, so many gifts, but ultimately I had 
put myself there and it was not the right place. I was not stimulated creatively or intellectually. And I was, I was stuck there because of the golden handcuff syndrome, you know, and I had talked myself into the fact that in order to live the life that I wanted, I had to have this nine to five career. And then all of a sudden, when my um, creative capacity was opened back up, I could see that, huh, maybe there are other possibilities and that those possibilities are actually available to me. Yeah. And it also gave me the courage to start exploring them and then the confidence to start pursuing them. And then once that happened, it kind of just snowballed and opportunities started coming to me. Teachers started coming to me. Clients started coming to me. And I realized that I had been completely holding myself back and that alcohol was the thing that was keeping me complacent because it helped me, you know, it helps you once you have to put on a mask that you were out of alignment with your authentic self, which is what many of us do in our careers, because we pick a career that we think is going to earn us money or because we've been told, oh, you're really good at this. You'd be a good X, Y, Z. And yeah, we are good at it, but that doesn't mean it's our dharmic path. And so once we start to put on this mask and become a character that we're not meant to be, we have a level of discomfort and the alcohol helps us dull the discomfort of being out of alignment. And then we need to drink more because we're not getting in alignment. And because we're not in alignment, we need a drink. And so it's just this vicious circle. And once you take yourself out of it or take, you know, the, the magic elixir that's keeping you blind out of the equation, you start to realize, oh, maybe this isn't who I really am. And maybe I could be someone even bigger and better. And I've seen this happen over and over and over in the lives of my clients that um, one of them within four months, and I'm not saying these are typical results. She told me she couldn't leave her family business because she was basically tied to it. Um, but she really wanted to be an interior designer. And she's just like, I just don't know how I'll ever make enough money. I don't know how I'll break into it. Well, as she started to call in manifestations, she called in an internship with just the right person who then ended up hiring her for more than she was making at her family business that she thought she could never leave Four months, four months. And it's just when you get into alignment, you start to have the pot, this possibility that something else could exist and the courage to go after it. And I just think it's such, such an amazing opportunity for women that we're missing out on left and right. Yeah. I mean, I love that. It even like getting clear on what else you might like and then actually verbalizing it to someone other than yourself, like putting it out into the universe, suddenly stuff starts appearing to you and you know it opens up possibilities I remember I um I always in the back of my mind was like oh I want to be a coach but not yet like in a few years like I'm not ready yet and I was listening I love Jen Sincero you know you are a badass Uh Um, so I was listening to uh you are a badass at making money because a Mm -hmm. lot of my blocks were around financial security that was always sort of my that was my stumbling block And a friend of mine in a morning workout group, totally random, um, said, uh, you know, she was a nurse. She's like, I'm a nurse, but I really want to be a coach. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. I really want to be a coach too, but not for a couple of years. This was 6 a.m., you know, in the winter at a coffee shop after a workout. And I was like, oh, you should really listen to this book. Jen Sincero, you're a badass. It's awesome. She comes back in a week later and was like, oh my God, Casey, absolutely love the book. I'm signing up for coaching school. I did all the research. I talked to the guy, I'm enrolled. And all of a sudden I was like, what? So I was like, well, fuck, if you're doing it, I want to do it. Like, that's crazy. So I was like, give me his name. 
So basically, we ended up because of this coffee shop conversation where I was like, actually, I kind of want to do that too. We both enrolled in coaching school together and like went through and became left our day jobs and became coaches. But like, it never would have happened if we, you know, if we hadn't like put it out into the universe and then suddenly like pushed each other into stuff appearing. Totally. And these are like the serendipities that will start to pop up in your life when you make room for them left and right. It's, you know, I've had so many similar circumstances and occurrences and things that, you know, I'm, I'm a girl who grew up with no, I mean, other than the fact I'm white, I, that's a tremendous advantage. I, I absolutely acknowledge that, but my family was on food stamps. My mom was a single mom. Like I had to pay through my own college. I have no, you know, leg up in anything. I'm single. So I don't have a spouse to fall back on. I don't, I have student loan debt. I have all the cards stacked against me. And yet, and I'm also not the type of person who's just going to barrel over people. I hate that. Like I'm not, that's not my personality. So in terms of what makes a successful entrepreneur, sometimes it's someone who's very high in narcissism and they don't care if they just like barrel over everyone. And I just don't have that. And so I, but I am successful regardless. And it, I would never have had the confidence to do so or the time or the skill set or the intuition or any of the things that I have as a coach, had I not, well, I mean, I obviously my business is based around not quit, not drinking, but I would never have any of that had I not made the decision to stop. Yeah. And I also feel like when you're drinking, I don't know if you saw this too, but it colored every experience and interaction I had, like just as you go along and drink more, like I became sort of more fearful fearful, more resentful. I felt more put upon. I felt defensive. I felt tired. I just felt exhausted. I felt more insecure um, Ah. about like my ability to keep up, about how I looked, about my confidence. Often if I went out drinking, like, did I say something that was wrong? Did I read the situation properly? So once you've removed all of that stuff, you're, you know, inherently more open and optimistic and positive and less stressed out and less Mm -hmm. exhausted just by virtue of removing the alcohol. And then you finally can look around and evaluate, you know, your friendships, your spouse, your um, responsibilities, your schedule, your work situation for what it is and be like, do I like this or do I want to up level it? Mm -hmm. Mm, So much. It's, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's just, it, opportunity to look at every area of your life and ask, where have I been cutting myself short? And, and then to do something about it. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest thing that women can do to stop playing small? And we're going to assume, okay, they've stopped drinking. Like what's the next step that helps them sort of move into a new area of their lives? Oh, Well, you know, it's, you need to define which area you want to have, you want to focus on. So is it financial abundance and is that related to your career? Do you want to change careers? And always, always question that one. I think that's the one where so many women are stuck on a path that they feel they have to continue on because they've got one foot in the boat. Um, or maybe you're stuck in a relationship or, you know, and you can, you can improve it, or maybe you're stuck in a relationship. And I hear this one a lot you realize that alcohol is the thread that's keeping everything together. And it's scary. It's scary to do that. Um, But also it's better off for you and that person and everyone involved if things do dissolve. 
Um, so identify the area. Is it relationships? Is it friendships? Is it money? Is it work? Where you want to improve? And then honestly, I cannot say enough about hiring a coach, even if it's not someone like you or I. Um, I think that for women who are alcohol free, it is very helpful to have someone coach them who is also alcohol free. Um, even if it's past the initial, like taking a break from alcohol part of your journey, I think that in your career and your relationships and getting clarity, having a coach that understands that, um, foundational part of your life is important, but regardless invest in yourself. Women are so bad about not investing in themselves. Find a way shower, find a Sherpa, find a guide, find a cartographer who has been on this map before and have them help you. It is every time I've invested in coaching for myself, it has taught me so much and helped me go faster, further than I could have gone on my own. And we are in such a do it yourself, figure it out because you're smart and you're intelligent. And yes, you are smart and intelligent, but you can only read so many books and intellectualize so much. You need to get out there and actualize your dream. And sometimes having often, always for me, having someone to support you in that and hold your hand is the best investment you can make. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. Like, obviously I had a coach, um, I had a sober coach. I also had coaches when I was in coaching school and I have a lot of people I still work with, but what I loved about it is in my mind, you know, I went to therapy too. And therapy is like looking back and untangling what, what, you know, what's not functional in your life and how to function. And coaching is taking you from where you are now to where you want to be and helping you overcome the stuff that like, you know what the goal is, or you know, know you want something different. And yet you haven't been able to achieve that on your own. It's someone helping you set the goal and hold you accountable and dig into the blocks that are keeping you stuck and encouraging you to move forward. And even just having an hour to talk about what you want and what you've done and, and what's holding you back and what you're worried about can really jump you forward. A huge Oh, yes, 100%. And the fact of the matter is, we can't see our own shit. I can point out, you know, suboptimal behaviors in other people all day. But I still have a coach for myself, because I even if I can see it acutely, I can't dig in and really understand and really be alerted to all of the areas where it is making my life difficult. And if you can just have someone to direct you to the area that you need to work on, it is just such a gift, such an amazing gift. Awesome. Well, one question that I had for you as well was you talk about gray area drinking and I've done an episode on it with Jolene Park about what that is, but it, it's something that comes up all the time, right? Because it's not that black and white, like we're all like, I want to drink like a normal person, quote unquote, regardless of what that is, or I'm not that bad. I don't have a problem. But can you tell me how you define or talk about gray area drinking? Yeah, it's actually interesting because it is gray area drinkers account for the largest portion of drinkers. You know, so Jolene describes it as you're not the um, fall down drunk needs rehabilitation. And I'm being very stigmatized here. I know I'm not trying to insult anyone, but what we as a society would put as an alcoholic. Um, And it's also not the have a glass of champagne at a wedding every now and again. It's the like you or me, I'm drinking a little bit every night or I'm kind of binging on the weekend. That is where most people fall in this gray area. 
And it is an area where also we are told, we're told all of that is normal. The whole range is normal. And when we say we want to drink like a normal person, gray area drinkers, what we're talking about is that little, little bit of a sliver of a crescent moon of people who drink champagne every once in and out again at a wedding. And really that's such a small portion of society. So um, being in this gray area is really difficult though, because we've told ourselves it's normal and we're told, we've told ourselves that it's bad or wrong, or we're a failure. If we have to put ourselves in the the dark area of, of recovery and alcoholism And it's just something that we need to continue having conversations about that, you know, it's okay to be in this, in the middle and you don't have to be in the problematic area for alcohol to be a problem in your life. You can choose to change that relationship. Even if you fall into honestly, what is considered a normal drinker, you and I are both considered normal drinkers. The person who probably drinks a little heavier than both of us is still a normal drinker, man. I I just really really want to normalize the the fact that you don't have to have a problem to change your relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the question of like, not, is this bad enough that I have to stop, but is it good enough to keep going? Yeah. yeah. For me, it was, you know, I was drinking for two to three hours every night and it was making the other 22 or 21 hours of my life so much worse like so clearly worse. And yet I would come home at 6 p.m. and be like, I'm going to just go to my happy place from 6 to 9 p.m. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as the time went on, I was like, this is not good enough to keep going. Like I can play this out and see where it's taking me and it's nowhere that I want it to go. Yeah, no, same. I, but we convince ourselves that we have to stay there. And I, you know, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been writing about this recently because it, we, we all do a disservice to those people in the gray area. I had a, I would say my only official troll on Instagram is a gal who I, I honor her for being so committed to her path, but she, um, she was, she had gone to a recovery center to get sober. She had an addiction and she said, Amanda, you are being so dangerous. You are, um, why don't you just say that you were an alcoholic? Think of all the more people you could help. And it's this stigma that that alcoholic is is the only thing, even from the insular side, even from inside of that part um, of the circle that that um, that if you stop drinking, you're an alcoholic. Like I've I've had so many people from the alcoholic community say, "Oh, where do you go to meetings? How did you quit? How many days do you have?" And they're using that very exclusive language, and. I, you know, I had to tell her, I said, listen, I just have to say that there was no one speaking to me when I needed to quit drinking. There's plenty of people speaking to addiction and recovery. And I need to, I'm called to, I have to normalize this conversation that regular drinkers who realize that alcohol is no longer serving them can also quit drinking. And it's, it's, True, and it's so I've done so many episodes about this in a good way because, um, you know, I don't use the term alcoholic to describe myself. Um, and didn't, you know, I, I actually went to some AA meetings. It was not my path. The, the language didn't resonate with me and it wasn't what I wanted. Um, you know, just in my life and my schedule, et cetera. Like if it helps you, that is amazing. Do that. I completely respect it, but, the idea also that you're in denial 
if you don't call yourself an alcoholic, I think is, is damaging as well, because, you know, that term is unnecessary. You don't have to adopt that label. And so many people where alcohol is just clearly dragging you down and keeping you stuck and taking up way too much of your mind and your energy every day and every week won't stop drinking because they don't want to be put in that category. And, you know, the fact is that, you know, I think of giving up alcohol as a health and lifestyle change with a really addictive substance in the same way it would be if you decided to quit smoking or if you decided to become a vegetarian or decided to become vegan or decided to run a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. You are doing something different in terms of health and wellness than most of society. And it doesn't, it's not a huge deal. Like if you had a vegetarian come over for a barbecue, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like they would eat what worked for them. They bring their own food. You would hang out. You wouldn't be uncomfortable eating a burger around them, right? It's just, hey, my body and my mind feel better without it. So I think that the more of us that start talking in this um, gray area space or start talking about going alcohol-free without saying, oh my God, if you don't say you're an alcoholic, you're in total denial, it'll help so many, you know, the vast majority of people who are in this middle space saying, I kind of feel like shit when I drink, but I can't really leave it alone. So where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Totally agree. Awesome. Well, so I know people are going to want to follow up with you after this. And will you tell us like how we can learn more about the work you do and where to get in touch? Yeah. So I offer one-on-one coaching is my primary offering. Um, I do coaching for women who are just starting out on their journey. And I also do mentoring for women who are four plus months alcohol-free and just want to up a level in their lives. Um, but if you just want to take a really quick quiz and figure out where alcohol is keeping you stuck, um, I have a great quiz at amandacuda.com forward slash quiz. Um, and you can find me, of course, at amandacuda.com or on Instagram at amandacuda. And that's K-U-D-A. Perfect. And I will put all your links in the show notes of this episode, as well as the other stuff we've talked about. So the highly sensitive person book and um, all the other things. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Casey. It's so great to hang out with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, 
lifestyle and beauty feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us, they have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.